<laughs> My name is Sochi Gomez. Today I'm reading John 13, verses 31 to 38. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thank you, Sochi. All right, we're in the study in the Gospel of John that is about um, discipleship. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, our summer study. And we're finishing up that first chapter today. It sort of starts in a, in a strange place. Um, you ever noticed how sometimes it's where things are the darkest, where the light is most beautiful, that maybe it's at a place where there's a tragedy or a loss, where there's this flash of beauty, there's this flash of glory. I remember I was reading the, the aftermath, you know, one of these shootings that happened in our country it was October the 1st, 2017, when um, there was a shooting in Las Vegas at this concert for the Route 91 Music Festival. You'll see the guy who did the shooting from the, um, from the hotel. There's a picture from the camera his name is Stephen Paddock, and that night from the 32nd floor of this hotel, he sprayed more than a thousand bullets down into the crowd at that concert. Over 400 people were wounded and 60 people were killed. And the crowd that was there said is when the shooting first started, they weren't sure what it was. It sounded like popping, but as soon as people realized what it was, everybody was just fleeing. You're just sort of running for your life. Everybody was running except one guy. Uh, his name is Dean McCauley. You'll see him with his family there. He was running from the field. He'd been at the concert with two friends. He was running off the field. He was leaving. And then at a moment came, he stopped and he thought, I, I've got to go back. I know that there are people who are in desperate trouble. And so literally, as the bullets are raining down, this guy runs back into the place where the shooting is happening, into that field. And as he's doing, he's looking for anybody he can help. And he came across these twin young women. You'll see a picture of them actually from a couple days later, Gianna and Natalia Baca. Both of them were shot. Natalia, who's on the left, was seriously wounded. And when Dean got to her, the bullet wound had been in a place where she was bleeding out. And he could tell that. 
And so right away he knew some kind of pressure had to be applied. He stayed with her applying the pressure and helped her to an ambulance. And even that evening as she was there getting treated, he got her phone and called her dad to let her dad know what had happened and that she was going to be okay. It was really an amazing thing. And a few days later, Natalia, who had been shot, explained, she said this from her hospital bed. She says, I was fighting for my life, praying. He, that's this guy, Dean, found something to use as a tourniquet and applied pressure. He stuck with me. He changed the way I look at life by helping me. I thank him for saving my life. You see, she'd explain that by looking at our world, it's so easy to become jaded and cynical and negative about everything. And here in the midst shows up this guy as the bullets are still raining down to offer her assistance, to bring her to help, and then to stay with her. As I thought about this, I thought, isn't this the way God works in our world? That in the midst of things that are happening, something takes place that reminds us, hey, there's beauty, there's glory in our world. It reminded me of the Russian author, one of my favorites, Dostoevsky, said in one of his, has one of his characters say, beauty will save the world. And our text today shows, well, how, how does that happen? How can that happen in and through us? How can beauty break like this trance that our world has us caught in, has us lulled into? Let's pray, let's pray. Father, we need to know as we're coming here today that there's more in our world, that there's hope, that there's life, that there's love, that there's a future for us as humanity. Because Lord, since that day in Las Vegas in 2017, there's been, there have been a lot more horrible days, dramatic days in which we wonder if there is any hope. And we thank you that we can come before you and seek your face today in worship. Teach us about the source of that hope and how we can come to live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in this study about discipleship, you should know that after the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the word disciple is not used. Instead, it's this language we see. Here's the Apostle Paul. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And as I read that, it's sort of striking to me because in this study of discipleship, we're learning that discipleship is like a living mentorship with Jesus, an apprenticeship of becoming like imitators of Christ himself, right? And today we find again one of those moments when Jesus says, okay, you're gonna live, I'm calling you to live life as I live life. You see, that's what discipleship is. Jesus says, follow my example, do as I'm doing, become like me. And as I read that, I sort of think this challenges all that we're being told to do in our culture. It like flies in the face of everything. The Canadian philosopher explained it like this. He said, today, we live in an era in which we believe this. There's a certain way of being that is my way. I am called to live my life in this way and not in imitation, there's that word, of anyone else's. And if I am not, I miss the point of my life. I miss what being human is for me. 
And so we're told that we're like the creators, designers of our own lives and our own stories. And if we actually live following someone or imitating someone, we've somehow lost what is core to what it means to be a human being in our world. And furthermore, we're being told, look, if I make contact with my true self, if I discover my feelings, then I'll know what is right. We don't need anybody to tell us how to live. It's as if we've been told, look, you've been given all the goods, it's all inside of you, and you just need to know what it is and live your life in accordance to that. And this is like the air that we're breathing in our culture, what we're being told. Now, we looked before, I think a year ago, at uh, sort of how this appears in the Star Wars movies, if you've seen that before. Because to be a Jedi, to get there, you first have to begin as a Padawan learner. Remember the kids, they're sort of learning the Jedi arts. And we learn along the way that Obi-Wan needs Qui-Gon Jinn and, and Luke needs Yoda. But by the time we get to the last hero of this series, her name is Rey, she doesn't need anybody to train her. She is never apprenticed. She is self-contained. It's just her feelings. She has all of this in herself. And this is the message that's being repeated over and over again to, to our children. We're telling this story. And by the way, if you go look at all the Disney movies, you'll see it fills them. For example, the high school musical, it just has that name came out some time ago, communicates it so perfectly in one of the songs. This is what it says. The answers are all inside of me. All I've got to do is believe. Man, you've got all the goods. You have everything you take. This whole notion of someone has to teach you life. You're going to learn life from somebody, and you're going to learn by following someone. That's the question of this whole study. It's assumed that our lives will be formed in relationship with other people, and we're being told that the ticket, the real way to life, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. And so our, our calling is actually to sit at the feet of Jesus and to come, as Paul said, look, become an imitator of me as I become of Jesus. Now today we take in that learning a really biggish step, one of the biggest steps, to see why this life that he calls us to is beautiful, but also costly. How we learn to the way of love from Jesus himself and why it must come from him, what it looks like, and how it can be possible for us. And so that's what this little section of the text that Sochi wrote, read for us this morning is all about. Now, as we're here in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John, let's remember where we are. This is the night when Jesus is betrayed. He's having Passover meal with his disciples. They're all together in that room. He's just washed their feet and told them to follow his example. Again, follow him in serving one another. And then Jesus extended grace even to Judas. And so if you read the text before, in every way, Jesus is opening the door for repentance for Judas, showing him his love. And just as this scene begins that we, we read here, Judas leaves the room. This is what we're told happened. When he, that's Judas, was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Now, as I mentioned, 
Judas has just left the room, and what happens here is it's like now the game is afoot. The timing of everything is important. And the next chapters that we read are like, you could say almost like an information dump by Jesus of all of his teaching of what it means to be a disciple. So if you have your own Bible, you're going to see it's almost all red letter for the rest of this chapter and the chapters that come. He's wrapping up all of his conversations. He's dotting every I, crossing every T and saying, look, this is what it means to be following me. He's taking all that he has shared with them up to now and bringing it to a head. But notice in the verse that I just read, Jesus repeats that word glory or glorified five times. Glory, glory. And you're like, well, what is that? We don't use that word in our language. And where is this coming from? Why, why is he talking about this? Well, that word um, the, for glory in Greek, which this was written in, is that word dotsa. It's where that doxology that uh, Kalo was just leading, that word doxology literally is from the word glory. In the Old Testament is the word kabod, and it means something like heaviness or substance or gravity. It's what that person means when they say, oh, I just met with so-and-so, and they are really a person of substance. It can be the weightiness of the person, their value, because of their character. Recently, I was at a Miami Heat game, and I noticed that before and after the game, people were gravitating. They wanted to get pictures with the famous people. So there was a former Heat player there who's now in the Hall of Fame, and everybody went over. It's like they're being sucked over to that person to get their picture taken next to them. And, and then afterward, there was a, a famous soccer player. Everybody sort of just got sucked in that direction, and, and they wanted their picture. It's like gravity. They were drawn to that because we, too, are drawn to significance and weight and glory. And that's what is happening here. And by the way, this is also what you seek. It's why if you're an attorney, you want to make partner at the firm. It's why if you're a parent, you want your kid's name to be on the honor roll. It's why you want that latest edition of that car that has all those cool new things that your model doesn't have. And often our ambitions show what we think glory is because we're seeking it. We're pursuing it. These are things that we aspire to because to us they feel like they give us significance and value and weight. And Jesus once told a parable about the way glory works. It's just in one verse. He said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You see, he, it, we're not told what the treasure is, but whatever it is, it's so great, he would lay everything aside. And by the way, he doesn't do it, do it uh, angry or upset. He does it with joy because that thing has such value, he would sell out everything to get it. He doesn't complain, he does it with joy. So now we're reading and Jesus says, what's going to happen now is going to bring glory to the Father. And it's also going to be, bring glory to me. And here's the shock. You see, in their world, there were rock stars too and famous people, people with huge amounts of wealth and leadership. And Rome was, was surrounded by pomp and circumstance. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to bring glory. But he's talking about the cross. 
He's talking about that thing people would turn their faces away from, the the most horrendous way that a person could possibly die. They didn't even want to speak about this. He is saying, this is where the glory is coming from, from this hideous, scandalous death. He, when God wants to show his glory, he doesn't do it in the ways that we may be drawn to, like, like the great wealth, right? The weight and value of his kingdom and what reveals who he is is found in the crucifixion, this death of Jesus. I know we celebrate celebrity and wealth, and here's Jesus. He shows up, and he brings glory to the Father, nailed to a cross. And you say, well, how can that be? That doesn't fit into my, my understanding of what glory is. This is the greatest glory in our world, and this is why. Here's the greatest love. Think about it. Who has the greatest glory? The one that wins on the field of battle and comes home, celebrated the victor? Or is it the one who fell on the grenade and died to save his brother in arms? Yes, it's the one sacrificing himself. And let me tell you what Jesus did. He did both of those. You see, his death brought about the victory. He won the war by giving himself over to the worst sort of death out of love for us. And in the process, he revealed the glory of the Father. It's nothing like these alternate glories in our world. His own glory came through the giving of himself away. And by the way, in this world where it's all about me and what I can get, and how I can have other people serving me. This, this is a huge challenge, right? Even other people, other people can be an obstacle to me having the world my way. And the implied message you can see up there is you for me, you exist for me. Did you know that? You're the one who needs to get out of my way in traffic, certainly here in Miami, right? Everybody's here for, for me. That's the way it works. You must provide me the rights and freedom and life I deserve, the life I want. And yet the message of Jesus and the source of the greatest glory shouts this, me for you. I'm here for you. This is love. And you know, the members of the Trinity are constantly doing this. They're, they're saying, hey, I'm here to serve you. I'm going to do your will. And we could walk through the story of Jesus to the end, and we will see this love constantly being poured out. He's giving himself up for the glory of the Father. And this is why glory for Jesus means glory for, for the Father God. Jesus is, by the way, he's the one in the parable that, that he told. Jesus sold everything he had. And he did it with joy for the glory of the Father, to redeem you and me. And by the way, I think as a father on Father's Day, this is what it means to be a father and a mother. It it means that, right? Think about it for a moment. It, It means that you're willing to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of the people that you love, to live each day for your children, to say, me for you. Now, in Scripture, this is articulated and talked about in in three ways. First, it's most often talked about as substitute, right? I will take your place or exchange. Let me do that for you. Or presence. I'm not going to let you stand alone. I will not leave you or forsake you. And Jesus does all of these for us. And then he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So here we've just learned about glory, that it's in sacrifice, not in the things that we're tempted to chase for. We see the glory of Jesus in his self-giving love of the cross. And then he says, come on, you guys, follow me, imitate me. Now you say, well, new commandment? How can Jesus say that? Hadn't God long before commanded his people to love each other? Well, of course he does. But notice what Jesus says here. He says, I want you to love one another, but I want you to do it as I have loved you. This sacrificial, self-giving, one-way, me-for-you sort of love. You see, Jesus tells them that his life is more than show and tell. It means a real entering into the life he has lived, loving as he has loved, serving as he has served. And you may be thinking like I am, okay, so that means I'm supposed to run toward that spraying of bullets in that field, right? I've got to do something heroic. By the way, I love the kid's song about the hero, but let me tell you, I'm, I'm not that guy. I've got to do something heroic like this for Jesus. But this isn't what Jesus is asking the disciples to do. Because this love shows up every day. How does it do that in a thousand ways? Well, you're in the grocery store parking lot and you're making your way to your car and you're in a hurry. But you notice there's somebody older, an aisle over, and they just can't lift up that heavy thing into their car. And you walk over to them, you stop what you're doing. Hey, can I give you, can I give you a hand with that? Or your spouse wakes up in the middle of the night. What? A glass of water? Let me get that for you. You see trash that's fallen into your neighbor's front yard. You could walk on by. It's their yard, right? But it, it, you, look at, you look at the situation and you pick it up and you throw it away. You get the idea. And why does Jesus command it? This is who God is, right? In his nature. John tells us later in his letter, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is the stuff in our world that says there, there's a God, there's something more. Jesus says this is how the world will know you've learned life from Jesus, that you are his disciples if you love with this love. It's been called our greatest apologetic. We don't use that word either, apologetic. It literally means the way we share the message of Jesus and we demonstrate that the gospel is true. How are people in the world going to believe there's anything to this? It has sometimes been called the mark of the Christian. That if you were to look at a person and say, wow, how can I tell they're a disciple of Jesus? It would be this mark of love, right? The sign you have been given by Jesus. It is this. And notice he doesn't say, hey, this is going to happen because we take over positions of power all across the world. We find, you know, we pursue this in politics or, or we end up running things. He says, it will be the sacrificial love that you have for one another. And you say, well, how can that possibly change the world? How can that change our world? i tell you with an illustration. Maybe you saw the movie. It came out in the 60s now, and it was part claymation, and it was called Jason and the Argonauts. Argonauts were the sailors on a ship called the Argo, and Jason was the son of a king who got cut off from his family when he was a baby, and he had the challenge to prove his kingship. He had to find the golden fleece. And I know that sounds silly, but we're talking Greek mythology here. 
So what Jason has to do is sail on this ship, the Argo, and find that place where the golden fleece is so he can prove he's the king. And here's what happened. As the ship got out on the sea and was near land, it neared this place where the sirens would sing their songs. The sirens were mermaid-type creatures, and the thing about their song was their song was so beautiful, it would draw everybody into the trance of it, and they couldn't think of anything else or do anything else. And when the sailors would hear the sirens, their ships would crash on the rocks, and they would be killed. And here's what happens. As, as the Argo buys, goes by the rocks, and the sirens are singing their songs, all of his sailors, their attention is just drawn over to them. But an amazing thing happened. On board was a man named Orpheus, and Orpheus had a lyre. And he played his lyre, and the trance of all of the sailors was broken, and everybody was saved. Do you know why? Orpheus was playing a more beautiful song. He was playing a more beautiful song. You see, this is what Jesus is saying. You know, out in our world, it feels like sometimes the sirens have everybody's attention and they're controlling everything and, and people are entranced by culture and, and they're drawn into it and what it's all about and it ends up, it will shipwreck your life. How is the trance ever gonna be broken? You see, we think our culture is so powerful and it is and it leads, it can lead people to destruction. Its power seems too great to defeat and it is. But there's a more beautiful song. And Jesus told his disciples, guess what? If you love like this, like I'm showing you love, if you love in this way, the trance can be broken. And this is what we must play. It begins by loving that person closest to you. How do you love them? Then your neighbor. And every small thing saying, me me for you, you're not alone. Let me do that for you. And Jesus is the singer. And by the way, do you know, this is how Christianity began to change the world. It wasn't because they seized power as we think about it, but their song was so beautiful. It, it broke the trance and people realized, wow, there's a God. And, and that's what this life is all about. There's a more beautiful song. And how do we do it? You can do it by tutoring a child or coming to the aid of a neighbor or finding, uh, going alongside of somebody at work who nobody else will talk to and, and needs a friend in all of those ways. Now here's what happened as Jesus is explaining this. Peter asked, Lord, why, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, we can't end today without looking at what Peter says. He says, in effect, he's like, Lord, I can do it. I don't know wherever you're going, but I'm going to go with you. And man, I would be willing to die. I don't care what it takes. I am with you. And it's laughable. He really believes it's true and that he can do it. And, and maybe we do too. He's strong in himself, he feels determined and powerful, and that's how we feel. And of course, we know Jesus is right. Peter's gonna deny him, he's gonna fail Jesus. He pledged to be like Jesus without Jesus. Are you telling yourself you can do that? You can be like Jesus without Jesus, but no one can do that. 
And this returns us to where we were before, the self. Even if we know what we want, even if what we know is we, what is right, can we do it? Not in any faithful way. We are told that you can only be you with you. But what we learn is that you cannot even be you without Jesus, without other people, right? None of us are self-contained or self-creating. And so let me tell you, we cannot love as Jesus loved. We're like Peter. We think we can do it until the moment comes, right? When somebody hurts us or we get tired or we're pushed or we're disappointed, we can't love in this way. So how are we going to love like Jesus? Again, we can't. I think this is why we're told about Peter's failure at this moment in the gospel. This glory is not our own. It's only a reflected glory from living in the presence of God. In other words, the song that changes our world, the beauty, it's not ours. It's found in Jesus alone. It begins with the love of Jesus for you. You see in that parable I read about the treasure in the field, you're the treasure. Jesus has sold out everything and he's done it in joy out of love for you to receive you. And the words immediately before that statement that God is love is this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Not promises we'll do better or saying, hey, I can do it. I know it's hard, but I can pull it. It's like, no, every day. Reminding yourself, I'm loved by God. And this is how we learn the song. We see that Jesus has loved us. We see the glory of Jesus giving himself on our behalf. This is the life of a disciple. Receiving the love of Jesus in such a way, being so immersed in the song that we come to know it and sing it to the glory of God and all the little things we do. It is you yourself first being caught up in that better song. Have you? Has the trance been broken for you over what the values are here in our world? One of my favorite love stories is with this guy. His name is Robertson McQuilkin, and his wife's name is Muriel. He was the president of a, a famous university and seminary, and his wife, as she got Alzheimer's, he just stood up one day, called everybody, and he said, I'm, I'm leaving my job. I love my wife, and when I'm with her, she's less confused and I want to do everything I can to support her. And everybody was sort of shocked. It was the peak of his career. And she sort of went through this 20-year pattern of decline. He, he, but he continued to stay with her and care for her and love her. And he talks about what this was like. This is what he says what happened one day. He says, once our flight was delayed in Atlanta, they were out traveling. He would travel with her. And we had to wait a couple of hours. And that's a challenge. Every few minutes, the same questions, the same answers about what are we doing here? When are we going home? And every few minutes, we take a fast-paced walk down the terminal and earn a search of who knows what. I had to jog to keep up with her. An attractive woman sat across from us working diligently on her computer. Once we re when we returned from one of these excursions, she said something something without looking up from her papers. And since no one spoke to me, or at least mumbled in protest of our constant activity, pardon, I asked. She said, oh, I was just asking myself, where will I ever find someone to love me like that? And she just heard that better song. She got a glimpse of Jesus 
something not from this world. I can tell you, do you see, as we look at this, do you see this call of the gospel in our world? I mean, we're using, we're trying to use the siren call to change our world, and we can't. Instead, we need to trust in the power of the love of Jesus, this sacrificial love, to stay with Jesus and learn in all the little ways that love shines through. And you say, well, how's this going to happen? It's really staying with Jesus, learning a life from him. It is the only way, and it's the reorientation of ourselves where this life can come. I'd say the Apostle Paul, this happened to him. He explained it very simply like this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Don't you love that? It's like my identity isn't here anymore, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And look at that ending part. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. Every day he's resting and he, he loved me. He, he gave himself for me. This has become my whole life. I, I died to myself. I discovered a whole new life in Jesus. And now Christ lives in me. At the end of a message like this, you want to say, hey, go out and do this. No, get close to Jesus. Receive and live in his love. That will be the only power to change our hearts and our lives and our world too so that we can love as he has called us to love. Would you pray together with me? Father, I read passages like this, and it takes my breath away because I see, Lord, how focused in on myself I can be. Indeed, that's the reality of who we are. We curve in upon ourselves until all we know is what we're feeling and what we want. And then we see Jesus giving glory to the Father in a way that shocks us and what we think glory is all about, weight and value and significance. And so I pray that again, you would show us Jesus, that we don't do this in ourselves, but it's the power of Christ present in us. And so Father, I pray that you will continue to show us Jesus. We might have this life that is found only in him. And Lord, our world is so desperate to hear a more beautiful song. And I pray, Lord, you would give us the ability in Jesus as we follow him to have our life in him so that we can join the singer in the song. And we pray in his name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?